0: This is Clothes Making Mavens, a sewing podcast about handmade fashion. Hi and welcome to episode 9 of the Clothes Making Mavens. Hi Helena. Hi Lori. How are things going with you? It's been a long time since we've done this so um, what's been going on in your life? I understand you have a new family member.
1: Oh, that I got a puppy. Yes. Uh, since we talked last and he is just the joy of our life. We love him so much. I have tried hard to keep my Instagram free of puppy pictures. Oh, but why, Uh, why do that? (laughs) uh, Well, I try to keep it, uh, to sewing stuff, but also because my phone has been so full of, um, pictures that I can't, take many more pictures so I have to rely on my other family members luckily everyone takes pictures of him constantly so we have millions of puppy pictures but I have honestly so many pictures of um, sewing inspiration things (laughs) that I don't have room to take any more photos I just take screenshots when I'm going through sewing blogs and other Instagram posts and so I, I screenshot that and I'm all full.
0: Right, and you can't delete those, obviously, because what would you do the next time you're in a fabric store, right? You have to go and look at your inspiration pictures and figure out what to buy, right? Right. Yeah,
1: that's that's totally what I tell myself.
0: Absolutely makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I, I'm down with that. That makes perfect sense to me too, and I'm sure it makes a lot of sense to uh, <laughs> to people listening to this podcast right now. We're all yeah, nerding is, out about sewing. What is
1: sewing. Your phone for? Yeah, it is
0: for sewing. <laughs> exactly. You have your priorities straight. No no room for family pictures, only sewing inspiration. <laughs> yeah. So today's topic, we're going to talk about sojo, that uh, little magic sauce when you're cranking out all the beautiful garments and feeling on top of the world, and then it just disappears and goes away. And how do you get your sojo back? So we'll, we'll chat a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that'll be great to talk about because I know both of us are – going through a slump and sometimes life just gets in the way i it's it's frustrating when just like with the the photos i don't have room for other photos i don't room for things like my work and my family stuff because i just want to sew all day but and yet and yet
0: and yet you have to make a living and you have to live yeah yeah it's uh, it's true and sometimes you have to put everything aside in order to just spend that day sewing because that's the the kind of, um, you could call it self-care, I guess. That's what you actually need to recover from all of the crazy things that are going on in your job, in your life sometimes too, right?
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I have been working towards having, so I used to have a really uh, sacred day called Sew Sunday Mm -hmm. Uh, with a church. So (laughs) that was my church and I would do, you know, breakfasty things with my family. And then I was like, do not disturb and and they're pretty respectful of that for a while but we just got out of the habit and there's so much going on in our life now that it's hard to to shut the door on them so um I haven't had one of those wonderful days for a long time and when you're doing it in fits and spurts too it gets frustrating like you have to remember where you were you have to kind of get back in the mode you have to make sure that all your machines are set up in the right way and I I definitely it slows you down quite a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I have a tendency when I'm when I'm lacking in sojo to kind of start a little something over here and then kind of leave it and then go back to something else I was working on and then I just drive myself crazy because I'm changing threads constantly and you know and changing needles and exactly as you say trying to remember where the heck I was and sometimes that makes it makes it even a little bit worse for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you get kind of intimidated like, "Oh, then what should I What should I do next? I am classically always have five or ten projects I think I've mentioned in the past. I like to have a lot of projects going on, but it it gets overwhelming. And then, yeah, and then it can kind of exacerbate your Sojo, your missing Sojo, Yeah, I
0: think. Yeah. So you've been a little bit MIA uh, with your blog over the last few months, as have I. I think the last time I posted was maybe um, three months ago or so. So what do you think is... um, Is causing the sojo to be MIA for you these days? So that's
1: interesting. I have sewn quite a few things um, because it's been so long since since we talked, and you know, just it ended up adding up. Even though I haven't had much of an output, I have sewn maybe half a dozen things. But the blog uh, seems really cumbersome right now. Are you feeling that too? Like getting in there and posting the pictures and editing the pictures. And I've also noticed in my blog reel that uh, there's a lot of classic, you know, go-to bloggers that I love that are slowing down their blog output too. And I wonder if there's kind of a, a slowdown on that as a medium for sharing because it is so much effort and we want to be sewing. you know, when your sojo is missing, especially, you don't want to be sitting there in front of the computer and um, writing posts because you want to just be behind your machine. So
0: have you noticed that when you? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely. I've noticed some of my favorite bloggers are spending more time on Instagram. Uh, And I kind of made a decision a while ago that I didn't necessarily want to get completely tied up with Instagram because I feel like I have enough different, mediums on the go to 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 deal with and just decided that wasn't one that I wanted to add to the roster but I can see the appeal of it it's sort of well it's instant obviously Instagram (laughs) and um you know you just take a quick shot of a work in progress or you know a shot in front of the mirror of something you've just sewn and and you could share it quite easily without thinking about preparing a a blog which is a more in-depth approach to sharing material but I think for me Yeah, in in a way, it was kind of being intimidated by needing to sit down and write a blog post. But partly for me, it was because, as you know, back in February, I went to Kenya for two weeks. And I brought some of my university students with me. So it was a credit course for them. And it was a really intense experience. And when I got back, I found it difficult to kind of wrap my head around, you know, sewing a T-shirt and blogging about it. It just seemed a little bit... um, Uh, Frivolous. (laughs) Frivolous, exactly. And you know that I love frivolous things, of course. Right. But um, yeah, it was, um, it was kind of like a really intense personal experience, too. And so I've still been processing that. And I, I did mention on my blog before I went that I was going to be going on this trip. And so some readers were uh, commenting and saying they would be excited to hear about it. And so I feel like I need to have a, a blog post or two to talk about the experience on the trip. And I haven't really been in the right mind frame to get all that out. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like I want to talk about it today. Oh, good. good, good. <laughs> I want to hear about it.
1: I only one of those is on the, the edge of my seat waiting to hear because I do know you got to, there was a piece that was sewing related, which is exciting. And then I just think anytime you travel or even just get out of your bubble of your normal stuff, you get inspired it's not always direct it's not like i want to make x but it's it's just an inspiring thing to to look at things in a different way and and to be be in a different environment, I yeah, think so absolutely. I,
0: yeah, it, and that's yeah. just it. It's the perspective. You get a different perspective whenever. Whether it's a small trip or a big one, I mean, I went to Cleveland last weekend and I had never been to Cleveland before, and that was really interesting and inspiring, and it was different than I expected it to be. And so no matter where you go, it's always a really great um, perspective shifter. But in this case, uh, I took a, a few a handful of students to. Kenya, and we were working with an organization called AMREF. That's the African Medical Research and Education Foundation. So my students study media and media production, so they're learning how to produce film and television and radio and podcasts and websites and things like that. And so we shot a documentary as well as a social media campaign related to two of AMREF's projects in Kenya. So one of the projects is called The Alternative Rights of Passage. And what that is, is, um, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how much people might be familiar with this, but throughout many countries in Africa, there's a practice called female genital circumcision or female genital mutilation, and it's a practice whereby girls who are becoming women circumcised meaning parts of their genitals are removed and this signifies that they are now uh, pure and they are now a woman and they're now ready to be married Uh, and this is an ancient tradition it's it's illegal in most of the countries it happens in but it's still such a a huge part of the cultural tradition that it's it's difficult to 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 stop it from happening especially when it's happening in small rural communities so we visited a a few rural communities in southern Canada of the Maasai people, where this practice has been longstanding. And one of the horrible things about this practice is uh, it's done without anesthetic, uh, it's often done in unsanitary conditions by an, an elder woman, a circumciser who uses a razor blade and often the same blade on many girls because it's a big, it's a big uh, occasion. So there's one big ceremony for all the girls and, and they all go through this cutting. There's no anesthetic. Um, the girls can be, they're adolescent or even pre-adolescent. So girls can be as young as eight years old uh, oh. who are having this done and, and. Yeah, it's really horrifying because girls, some girls bleed to death. Um, oh. Other girls have horrible infections that they can die of. Um, and it can cause all kinds of health problems and uh, reproductive and sexual problems as well. In, in the most extreme case of, of, of this tradition, uh, the clitoris is cut away as well as the internal and external labia. And oh, uh, parts goodness. of the genitals may even be sewn up, so uh, it becomes difficult for um, sex and childbirth. And yeah, it's really sorry about the graphic details, but I think it's important for us to understand, it's important. yeah, yeah, what's going on, and therefore why it's so important to change it. So the great news is now that the grisly details are out of the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, the great news is is that Amref has been having a lot of great success working with communities to eradicate. FGM as it's called, female genital mutilation. So they're helping communities to institute alternative rites of passage uh, Mm -hmm. whereby all of the same celebrations and gift-giving and preparation for the girls happens. All All of those cultural traditions happen except for the cutting and instead of being cut the girls spend time learning about sexual and reproductive health so they get a good sort of three days worth of instruction on those topics which benefits the entire community in terms of health outcomes. Um, AMREF works with the chiefs of the villages because of course without the chiefs on board nothing will ever change um, yeah. They also work with the young men. Um, the young Maasai men are called Morans. And so they work with the Morans to convince them that this is the right thing for the women. Uh, because they have to be willing to marry a woman who hasn't been circumcised. I mean, in their in their view, normally the tradition has been, if you're not circumcised, you're not a real woman. You're not pure and clean. And you're more likely to be unfaithful in the marriage. And so men would refuse to marry girls or women who hadn't been circumcised. So they're getting the Morans on board now, and they're saying, yes, we want to marry women because this is better for them, and they'll have an easier time in childbirth, et cetera. Um, And the other key part of the program is that the women who were formally doing the circumcision, they've been retraining them to be traditional birth attendants. Because one of the issues is, if the women are making a living Circumcising—you can't just walk in and say, "Well, forget it. We're not circumcising anymore." And too bad, you can starve to death, right? Um, so they're retraining them so that they can still earn a living and uh, actually, you know, benefit the community in in better, more healthy ways than than circumcising. So, uh, so we went to several communities where Amref had instituted their alternative rites of passage, and we talked to former circumcisers. We we met young women who had been circumcised, others who who had chosen not. Not to. Um, It's still a big problem. You know, a lot of the girls had to run away from their families in order to to avoid this because their families still believed very strongly that this is the way it has to be done. And, you know, you're no daughter of mine if you don't have this done. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a really complex and interesting issue and a really important one. I'm really grateful that AMREF is there doing that kind of work.
1: That's so exciting that you can be part of it by being involved in the communications part of it. I
0: mm-hmm. think that's
1: really exciting that, that your specialty can really help that because yeah, we're like at what F- each of us do, and you've got this great comp- uh, contribution you can make because you're teaching about the communication aspect. And
0: so you're helping them make the documentary and launching the social campaign? Yeah, so my students are currently just finishing up the documentary at the moment, it should be done in, in another little while and um, yeah the social media campaign was with one of AMRAF's other projects so it was they, they have a, a drop-in centre in a, a large slum in Nairobi, the capital city of Kenya and uh, it, it's the Dagoretti Child in Need project so they have a beautiful drop-in centre where kids from the slum who are at risk or who aren't in school or maybe don't have anyone looking after them can drop in whenever they feel like it, and they have um, arts based activities so they can learn drama and singing and music um, they also have a, a small garden and agricultural project so they can learn those skills and They have a sewing room. So I was super excited about that. And uh, yeah, I'll post some pictures, but the sewing room had a bunch of old treadle machines. Uh, So Uh that was the first time I'd ever had the opportunity to try one of those treadles where you're sort of, you know, literally peddling with your with your feet in order to make the machine run so that was really challenging I found I got the hang of it after a while but you know it's one thing to kind of be worried about your seam and where your seam is but to actually have be having to pump your feet at the same time in a perfect rhythm to keep it going because you have to just get the rhythm exactly right that was uh that was interesting so uh and so in the sewing room the um they can drop in and learn sewing skills and they actually have um a partnership with a local company called Kenya Kanga. And Kenya Kanga produces things like napkins and uh, trivets and bags, yoga bags, um, clothes for kids. And they're all sewn out of these things called Kangas, which are these beautiful, colorful cloths that women Mm -hmm. in Kenya wear. Uh, Stunning colors, beautiful patterns. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so in this workshop, in the sewing shop, they actually go in and manufacture some of these products for Kenya Kanga they get paid to do it they're learning the sewing skills as well and then Kenya Kanga sells the products and provides work and opportunities for learning to the the kids in the dagger project so it was kind of a yeah really good news kind of uh kind of place
1: yeah that's amazing that is so great and I bet because they're focused on different things there that's going to give you some different perspective not just the obviously the environment is so different, but also we sew for our enjoyment, we sew for like our creative outlet, but it's, it's very different in that environment. So I think that would be, I can see why it takes you a while, it's taking you a while to process all that because there's just a lot of angles that you're thinking about. And here we, you know, we're obsessed with sewing, we talk about sewing, we think about sewing, and then you're seeing it from this whole other angle Right. And you kind of have to integrate that. It's it's exciting and um and I'm sure yeah, a bit overwhelming and and that's cool that you get to share that with us. I love that.
0: Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, it was an amazing trip. And of course, um you cannot go to Kenya without having done a bit of a safari. So we were able to go to Nairobi God. National Park and saw, you know, giraffes and lions and rhinos and yeah, it was it was really an amazing trip all around.
1: Oh, I can't imagine. That's wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. so that's been occupying me lately. And then I, I I must admit, when I got back from that trip, fell into a bit of a depression. Just, you know, it was a big, exciting trip. And then sometimes the culture shock coming back from a developing country is interesting because you, um, you realize in developing countries we're so we're so chasing the dream. It's, it's get more stuff, be better, do more, get more. It's particularly get more stuff. Um, and so often, so many of us are not really happy. We have so much stuff, and yet, yet we're not happy. And when you go to a developing country and, and interact with people, you can sometimes realize that uh, this chasing of stuff is making us sick in more ways than one sometimes mentally ill and sometimes environmentally ill you know definitely mm-hmm. with the manufacturing and collection of all this stuff so um sometimes the culture shock coming back is more intense than the culture shock of going there so I think that kind of made me feel a bit um yeah I was pretty low when I came back so I really didn't get much sewing done I just you know it was like yeah
1: yeah kind of dealing with the what's the point kind of of little feelings. bit yeah yeah uh, I could totally see that. And I, anytime I get overwhelmed by life or by emotions, I think sewing can get affected because it's the first thing to go. It's like extraneous. But I do think that, like we discussed before, it's important to recognize that it is kind of self-care when you can get to that point. Like when it feels like that to you, though, it's not always, right? It's Sometimes um, I definitely can be pushing myself to do something that I don't necessarily want to do but yeah if you can get back to that point of this is fun this I do this for my enjoyment and and I do this for my creative outlet and I do this for to, to actually affect the environment in some cases because we are not just going out to H&M and buying you know 10 things though at the rate that I buy fabric I don't think that I am helping <laughs> Uh-huh. so one of the things that I did because my sojo was so low is um I went shopping down in or up in LA Uh-huh. and I only get there a couple times a year because it's I don't like to go alone because I don't want to drive alone up there just because the traffic stresses me out and and it's about an hour and a half depending on when I go it's you know the traffic so I went with my mom and sister so it was kind of a bonding activity but I also kind of had the goal to get some fabrics that I was really excited about so that I would um, come back and would be more excited about what I was sewing and get more in a groove there and I tell you it had the opposite effect which is weird for me but I because I only go twice a year And because I only have a couple outlets for sewing here, like, um, or for fabric, Mm -hmm. I have Joann's sometimes I don't like the quality there. And, um, so I went a little crazy in LA, I get so excited and then I brought it back and I was kind of overwhelmed by how much I bought and how, you know, Ooh, now I have to. Sew that up what's going to be the best use of my time it just kind of overwhelmed me which isn't usually how it goes usually I'm just like oh and I and I um rub my hands together and I want to push up my sleeves and get started right away and I didn't this time so sojo is is a, a really elusive <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a dark mystery how do we get it? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean about having all of that fabric and it actually having the opposite effect. I, I sometimes feel if you have a huge stash, it can kind of, uh, I don't know. Suffocate you, you? Yeah, you know, you, or you feel a bit of guilt around, well, I really should be sewing from that stash. And yet you're not feeling the inspiration from anything in your stash, but you you know, you, you don't want to allow yourself to say, go and buy a new pattern or buy... Different fabric because the guilt of I should get through that stash is preventing you. Um, my advice, if that's what you're feeling, is go ahead and buy that new fabric if it's going to make you go sew and get you back back in the saddle. Um, that sometimes works for me, but I, I get the 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 stash looming over over your head. Sometimes even just organizing your stash can be the thing that gets you back in the saddle like you discover something lurking in the back corner that you didn't you forgot you had you think oh this would be perfect with that new pattern that just came out last month and now you you know you have the perfect marriage of pattern and fabric so organizing the stash I think can be a good a good way to get back in the saddle too yeah and not
1: let it suffocate me as much because I do tend to throw the new stuff in a corner because I'm going to get to it right away and I don't file it away because I have these bins and I put knits in one, I put bottom weights in one, I put dress weights in another, you know, mm-hmm. so that they're somewhat organizing. So when I get a new pattern, I go to that bin with the appropriate fabrics and then I look at it. But what I've also noticed that I think I need to do, and I would love to hear opinions from our listeners about this and from you, Lori, is I definitely, so I love to buy patterns and we have those amazing sales at Joanne's here. So, um... And I love PDF patterns too, but I also like to buy the patterns at um, that are a dollar or two dollars. So I'll get a bunch of patterns, and then I'm excited about that pattern, and I go in my stash. Like we talked about, I feel obligated to buy uh, to sew for my stash, and I try to mold that in to the pattern that I just bought. But I think a better way for me to think about it is actually look at the fabric and say, fabric, what do you want to be kind of um, how it's talking to me that way, because I've had, um, over the last six months, I have had quite a few waters Mm -hmm. I have had, um, and I've, I've been trying more challenging patterns. So maybe that's part of it too, but it's it's, a lot of it is mirroring pattern to fabric. And if you don't get that right, it does not come out right. So that's my new like light bulb moment. And I wonder what other people think about that. How do you, how do you decide what excites you about sewing
0: well yeah and that's a tough call because I think it can go either way I think you're right that often you feel some fabric in your hand and then you think ah this needs to be a you know fill in the blank because you just know it's going to be perfect for that but then other times you're really inspired by the design of a pattern And you think, I have to make that no matter what. And so whether you have the right fabric or not, and maybe the pattern will sit there for a while until you do find the right one. But yeah, so it can can really go either way. And sometimes sorting out your pattern stash too is the thing that um, gets you back, gets your sojo back.
2: Are you
1: saying this because you can see my messy sewing room from behind the Skype?
0: Is it messy, Helena? What's going on in there? So messy.
1: It is a... Disaster at this point. It is it's bad because this room is my work room and my homeschool room, and um, and the put the junk in the room because mm-hmm. this is the only room we kind of let be messy. Yeah, the rest yeah. of the stuff is kind of for
0: for public show. So yeah, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> that can prevent you from feeling um, productive and creative too, right? Do you find yes. when when the room's oh, messy? Yes.
1: I'm naturally a messy person too. So um so then I think. I'm naturally a messy person. This is kind of how I work or whatever. But actually, I find when I do clean up, it really gives me a burst of energy, mm-hmm. especially if my table is cleaned off and it is not cleaned off now. It's it's deep right now. So having that like surface, like that clean surface in front of you is is a big thing. Joel Fennerty, I think.
0: Absolutely. I I agree so much, but but admittedly my table is always and you know, my sewing table is the dining room table. So every once in a while I host a dinner party to force myself to clean the damn thing <laughs> off completely and start again from scratch for the next time. And that's often the thing that that does it. So it's it's good. It's a double whammy if I'm feeling low sojo, I have a dinner party, my friends boost me up at the dinner party, and then I get a clean sewing space after that. So it works. Oh, that's out so well. smart. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: Is a great idea. Yeah, but yeah. I don't have any impetus like that because no one comes into this room and it's in the back of the house.
0: So Maybe you should host we... a party in that room and then.
1: There I go. should. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd have you over anytime, Lori. Come on over.
0: You know, I will be there one day, Helena, for sure. I will make it down to that part of the country and uh, I want to go on one of those trips to the fabric uh, district in LA with you for sure. Yeah, yeah, it is very, very fun. I did look up some other
1: things that we could use like some other tips. I was trying to gather some ideas beyond my own little brain. Um, But one thing that I actually um, did come up with in my own little brain, we talked about last time during sewing contests is uh, give myself a deadline. Mm -hmm. So I pattern tested just recently and I made um, the Anza jumpsuit for itch to stitch. I tested that pattern and, that really holds me accountable because I love Kenneth and I want to make sure that I do a good job for her. And, and I have a deadline. So I really did get it done and I felt great after doing that. So that is a thing. The contests, they help me, but since I'm in charge of my own contests, you know, like, Oh, I didn't get that done. Well, then I didn't enter into the contest. It's no big deal. No one knows, but me, but having that accountability was actually really helpful and that was an involved project that I'm glad that I completed because that's definitely something that I would faff about on my buttonholes or something I'd be like oh I don't want to do the buttonholes yet what if I mess it up right (laughs) yeah get stuck on uh, stuck on a certain piece and actually getting all those buttonholes done reminded me that my brother sewing machine I have an embroidery um, like the entry-level embroidery brother but it's also a sewing machine Mm -hmm. it does really nice buttonholes so I don't need to yeah, I don't I don't need to stress so much on the on the buttonholes. It's automatic. Put it in, it's just the lining it up. And I have another since I have another um project
0: needing buttonholes, like in the buttonhole queue. I <laughs> get that done now. Yay. Right, you've got some buttonhole sojo going on right now. So it's it's mm-hmm. all good. Yeah. That's, that's and exciting. I saw your jumpsuit that you sewed up. Uh, it, it's beautiful. Out. The picture there with the um, with the release of the pattern it looked gorgeous, mm-hmm. and it's a great pattern and yours was uh, particularly Nice, I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it is a, a great pattern. I love those little details that she adds and I'm liking jumpsuits now. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really, really fun. And so my favorite store is Anthropology and they have a bunch of jumpsuits too. So I and that's where the the phone clog comes in. Because then I'll go to Anthropology, I'll get inspired by a detail or two, and then I'll take a screenshot and then you know, next thing I know, I have 1800 (laughs) photos (laughs) and my phone won't let me take another picture or download another app. So, (laughs) but, but, you know, you get on these kicks. I do, I did love making, um, specifically making a jumpsuit because I've tried them on in the stores and I cannot get them to fit because I have a very long torso Mm -hmm. and it's just yeah, it's not it, the chances of a person getting a jumpsuit to fit out of the store is very low. Yeah. you have so many variables, and what are the chances that your your width and your bust and your hip is going to be the same proportion as their fit model with the length of their torso and the length of yeah. their legs? I mean, yeah. it's just it's just too hard. Yeah. so and that's why I'm excited about jumpsuits now. Is I figured out I need to add two and a half inches to the bodice, and and my normal forward shoulder adjustment and those kind of things. And then it's actually,
0: you know, my jumpsuit. Have you tried um,
1: a jumpsuit? You, you made that
0: romper. I made a romper last jump? summer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really wear it. It's a little, I don't know, it was sort of a lavender color. And it, and it was made out of quilting cotton. Um, and it was kind of a cute pattern. It had all of these like sort of cartoon drawings of uh, like poison potion bottles all over it. But I felt childish in it so i mean it was fun to sew and i'm really glad i did it because i i thought the fabric was neat and it was a good use of it but i'm gonna that'll go to the salvation army donation and someone it will make someone else happy so and it made me happy while i was sewing it which which is nice yeah which is sort of um when i was in kenya i bought this skirt Gosh, the, the colors in Kenya were just fantastic, Helena. It was so uplifting to the spirit to be there and see all the beautiful cloths and, uh, and fabrics and, and uh, the kangas that women were wearing and so on. And the men, too, were wearing all these brightly colored things. Um, and I bought this skirt, and it's a skirt that I know I will never wear. It's huge. It's a big circle skirt, uh, floor length. But the fabric was just to die for, and uh, while I probably won't wear it, I have it hanging outside of my closet, and it makes me smile every time I look at it. It's just this gorgeous waxed cotton in, in many colors, and just uh, just makes me so happy. Oh, that's a good idea. And you could always make something out of that fabric later. Yeah, I might do that, yep. Yeah. But uh, at the moment, it's just making me smile every time I see it. <laughs> that is valuable definitely yeah so do you ever pull out um a, a, a super easy pattern or maybe a pattern that you're really uh one of your tnt tried and true patterns is is that something you do to get out of the sojo slump
1: yeah so that is on my list because um because i've had those waters lately mm-hmm. and because i i started the bra making i made a test i i decided to cut it out of the nicer lace and stuff and then immediately sewed the wrong cup into the wrong um, side of the bridge. And there's no picking that out. I mean, this is (laughs) tiny little mesh and um, I mean, and it's black on black thread, right? So I mean, there's just no way. So that's, (laughs) that's not a thing. I I should probably not jump right into the lace and mesh lesson learned so and then I just finished the jumpsuit uh and I had just put that on my list is that I should just sew uh like an Mm Anari dress mm -hmm. I love that pattern I've used
0: yeah that's a simple shift type t-shirt dress almost right correct yeah and it it has little sleeves
1: and it has like kind of a cocoon shape and I've made one and then I made a muslin my muslin was a pajama because it was kind of a cutesy print with uh, ladybugs on it, mm-hmm. and I—I I mean, I made the—it's um, like a leopard linen that I got in the LA Garment District. It was one of my fancy special fabrics. It's lined. It's like got this metallic sheen to it, and it's not an everyday dress. But that pattern can really be an everyday dress, and I just uh, thought of the fact that I need to make more of those. I need to make it in just some wearable, wearable fabric that. You know, I don't have to feel so fancy in. And man, it's a great shape for wearing every day because it's not a
0: waistband or anything. (laughs) Yeah, no worries in that department. Yeah, and you can knock that off in what probably a couple of hours, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah, that. I think that. Yeah, that's definitely a good idea. And one I'm going to do. I did um, make recently an off-the-shoulder. I made it out of a peasant. Uh, pattern like a peasant shirt pattern that's mm-hmm. just one of those gathered around the neckline kind of things and I cut off cut, in this raglan sleeve I cut off the top just a few inches so that it would be straight across on the top and then added elastic and that was really fun to make and it did only take you know except for the fact that I had to kind of figure out where my um elastic was going to go and mm-hmm. stuff because I wasn't working from an exact pattern I was kind of hacking but other than that, it only took I think two hours. So that does give you and I was wearing it like the next day. So we,
0: satisfying. It really
1: is. And the reason I sew is definitely to make unique things, to get creative. I don't sew my own T shirts, you know, I don't sew boring stuff in general. But I could really see how it's it's fun and valuable to do that because it just makes you kind of feel like a rock star. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sometimes you need that.
0: (laughs) One of the things that I was reading as I shuffled around in various forums about Sojo and how to get it back was um, some people suggest that you try a different creative outlet. You know, if you can't really seem to get your Sojo on to to try something else, is that something you've ever ever done when the Sojo is MIA? No, I haven't, but... um... And that's part of the
1: guilt of, you know, having the stash and feeling like this is my thing. I sew, I sew, I'm Helena and I sew. (laughs) But uh, there, I listened to a podcast and I will um, link it up because I can't remember the name right now. But they were talking about the 100 day project, which is when you do something creative for 100 days straight and post it up on Instagram. And when I thought about that, I didn't want to sew thought what kind of a thing would I want to do for 100 days because it's totally open you get to choose your own challenge right Mm -hmm. and I thought I don't want to sew for 100 days straight or I can't think of anything that I would be want to do but what I like about that challenge is since you're doing it for 100 days there's not a lot of pressure you just do it and then the next day you're doing another one so I was thinking about trying something new like painting or like drawing or something because you just I feel like every sewing project is, it has to work out. And I think through all the steps and all this, but this is more like if you're doing it every day, you can't spend a lot of time on it and you can not invest a lot of emotional energy in it you could do the next one the next day. So it is an interesting idea that I just recently thought about, didn't commit
0: to. Right. i'm pretty busy right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> too much going on but, yeah. but it's interesting to think about yeah it's a great concept it's uh, one of those things that pushes you outside of your especially if you choose something as you say that isn't in your normal um wheelhouse pushes you outside of your normal boundaries and figure out something new
1: yeah do you um do you knit or um do one of your other hobbies Yeah,
0: well, I always have a knitting project on the go. I just finished a complete disaster, and I'm really, really pissed because I've been knitting this sweater for like six months or more. I mean, not constantly, but certainly off and on, and it's got all this complicated color work, and the fit is a complete disaster. So it's piled in the corner right now. I'm too angry to look at it. I'm I'm (laughs) sure that I can rescue it, probably with the serger. I have taken a serger to a knitted sweater before with, with some success so uh, I think it's rescuable but um, yeah that's um, that's (laughs) but the other thing that I find that I do when if I'm not too keen on knitting and you know don't have the sojo the thing that I seem to turn to is baking and I think the reason I do that is because it's like a really fast like you you decide to do it you whip it up and it's done in an hour and it's a tangible, immediate result, whereas sometimes with sewing, you know, you're in a complicated project and it's taking a while or you're, or you're a little bit intimidated by the next step or you don't want to do the buttonholes, as you say, or whatever <laughs> it is. But with baking, it's just such a – I mean, unless you choose to do a, a five-tier wedding cake or something, which I certainly don't, but, you know, just – baking some muffins or, and then you have this wonderful thing to eat too. So that seems to be the, the creative outlet that kind of gets me through the times that I don't really want to engage in something more, uh, more intense. that is very smart. That is a great idea. And my family would really appreciate it if
1: I did that every once in a while. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You'd be, you'd be, you'd be a hero for sure. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, those, Oh, the only other thing on my list is to just take a break which I think is kind of what you and I ended up doing I didn't touch the sewing machine for I think the longest stretch during this time that we haven't podcasted for almost a month like Mm -hmm. over three weeks there was a point where I just I didn't touch a sewing machine and I think it's
0: smart to do sometimes Yep, because sometimes you come back f- far more refreshed and ready to go to it, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and our hobby that we love so much should not be a source of guilt or fear, right? Like we shouldn't feel, oh, I, I really should be sewing or I really should make that podcast. I, I think it's good that we take the approach of when we feel like doing it, we're going to do it. And when we don't feel like doing it, we're not going to let ourselves feel bad for not, uh, for not doing it, right?
1: Yeah, I think that is super important. I think part of my personality type, it's hard for me to do that, and I have to fight against that, but that's why it's good to be reminded. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I often feel, I think sometimes the reason I have these creative hobbies is to also feel productive. Um, yes. you know, so I'm, if I'm sitting watching television, I'm also being productive because I'm sitting there either taping together a sewing pattern or I'm knitting something. And so sometimes when I'm not doing that, uh, the, the guilt sets in, which is ridiculous, you know what I mean? It is. But, um, yeah. yeah, it's so easy to fall into that trap of feeling like, well, I really should do this. Um, I think the minute you're thinking you should do something instead of feeling like you really want to is when you just need to take a break, right? Yep. That's what happened with the blog. I should blog these. I have
1: probably four projects right now that I could blog, and I just don't want to. Yeah. Don't
0: want to. And I'm sure but. you will eventually, and, and we look forward to the, the time when you do want to. So we'll see all of the beautiful <laughs> garments <laughs> that you've been you. making. I will put some things
1: on Instagram. Um, I'm going to clear out my, my photos. Uh, one of the things I thought I would do is draw more. Draw those details out—the ones that I've screenshotted uh-huh. and kept in my phone—and then it's almost like another creative outlet. The drawing, yeah, and, um, and then... that could
0: be your hundred days. You could you could draw a different detail every day yeah. for a hundred days.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good idea, and that would get rid of a couple photos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, why don't we throw it out to our listeners? What do you do when the sojo goes missing in action? What are usually the circumstances under which your sojo goes away? Um, And how do you get it back? Does it just come back on its own? Do you have certain tricks that you do to get yourself back into it? Um, Feel free to get in touch with us and let us know. We'd love to hear what you have to say. You can uh, leave us a voice message at 401-64-MAVEN. 401-64-MAVEN, or you can go to our website at clothesmakingmavens.com, and there's a whole bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us there. You can record us a message using your built-in microphone on your computer there. You can type us a message. You'll find our our voicemail box number there. So let us know. When does your Sojo go missing, and what do you do to get it back? We'd love to yeah. hear about it. Purely selfish. Lori and I need to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> help, 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 help. In the meantime, we have a segment from Maven Maris from Somaris.com. Uh, this might actually help people maybe with getting their Sojo back. Um, she's going to talk about some unusual handy little sewing tools that um, people may not have used or considered before. And sometimes something as simple as a cool new gadget is enough to get you back into things.
1: Okay. Maris has some handy tools that you might not know about that she has learned about in her years of sewing. They're secret tools that since she's tried every tool in the toolbox, she can really zero in on which are handy, which are valuable, and um, she's done the review process for us.
2: Thanks, Helena. I don't know if I've tried every tool in the universe, but I would be willing to say I've tried about 95% because I love tools and uh, I think they really make our jobs as so much easier. And I'd love taking advantage of things that make the whole process more interesting, more fun, faster, slicker, whatever. So I have a couple of things that I really like And you might have heard of these or use these yourself and or maybe some of these things will be new to you. Something that's relatively recent addition to my toolbox is called an elastic threader. And these are just little plastic uh, pieces and they're made by Dritz. It's possible they could be made by another company. And they come in about three different sizes. And the idea is that you thread your elastic through the threader, and then you use that to push through your casing. And I don't know about you, but I've spent most of my life threading casing using a safety pin, which is pretty laborious and very hard on your hands. And this makes the process much, much faster and easier. I think they're great. They're not expensive super handy tool to have in your toolkit. Another thing I really like are tweezers, and for anyone who has a serger, these oftentimes will come in your tool kit with your serger, and I'm talking about the very long handled tweezers that you, and they're usually at least about six to eight inches long that come in your serger, and if you don't have a serger, just go out and buy them. They are really fantastic. They, help, they can help you with threading. They can help you picking little things out. Um, they're just, they're great. I keep, make sure that I keep one in my toolkit that I travel with, in addition to having some in my sewing room as well. Another thing that I love and use all the time is a small ruler. It's clear plastic. It's one by six. The measurement of the ruler itself is one by six. So just the fact that the width of it is one inch is super handy. I use that for marking frequently. It's gridded actually in sixteenth of an inch, but the major grid line is an eighth of an inch. So I use it constantly in powder making. If I need to add couple you know eighths of an inch to a seam allowance if I need to let a seam in or out a little bit if I need to change a dart a little bit it's just a super handy ruler it's not so big that I find it to be cumbersome when I'm using it it's just great I use um, another tool that I really like is a chalkiner and The chalkiners that I have, these, I actually sell a um, specific type of chalkiner in my Etsy store, and they're made in Japan. And the thing that I like about these particular chalkiners is that they have a very fine line of chalk. It's pure chalk, so it doesn't leave any residue in your fabric, and it also, there's no spillover. So one of the things that I notice in a lot of the chalkiners, and I think I've bought all of them, from the fabric stores is there's a lot of spillover. There's a lot of loose chalk left all over my fabric. And the the chalkiners that I have, it's just a very fine line of chalk. So it's it's just great for some types of marking. It's like other marking tools. There's no, unfortunately, not one marking tool that works in every situation. But if you're looking for chalk, that's a good one. Another thing I'd like to talk about are pins. I particularly like silk pins. Um, I think sometimes it's a little bit difficult to find high quality pins in fabric stores. The point's not sharp enough, the head isn't glass. um, So if it's plastic, you can melt it under your iron. There can just be lots of different problems with pins. The silk pins are really good. Again, I happen to sell Japanese silk pins in my Etsy store. I'm not trying to be a commercial here, but they are a really high-quality silk pin. You also, but they're not, silk pins are not universal. You can't use them in every application. The, you also need a little bit heavier-duty pins, quilting pins, or, you know, things like that, where the shaft is a little bit thicker for some of the heavy-duty fabric that you might be sewing with. And if you haven't tried wonder clips, those are amazing and I use those frequently and I particularly like them for synthetic fabrics and things when I'm doing bag making, if the fabric that I'm trying to sew through is really thick or if it's pleather or leather, things like that, you know, wonder clips are definitely the way to go. And one last, oh no, I have two more. Um, I'm sure you all have a seam ripper because you can't sew without a seam ripper. However, if you're using that stupid little seam ripper that came with your sewing machine or came in some kit, throw it away and go get a seam ripper with a larger blade and a larger handle so that your hand doesn't get so tired from ripping. That will make a world of difference. And the last thing that you might never have thought would be a good sewing tool is a dental mirror. And you can use any small mirror, but these dental mirrors are kind of handy with the little handle. If, you're, if you can't figure out exactly where the hole is to put your needle in your sewing machine, or if you just need access to something underneath, from underneath, those dental mirrors are really great. So that's pretty much my list of, I think, slightly unusual tools that maybe you haven't heard of or tried before, and I hope that you find them to be as helpful as I do in my sewing.
1: Okay, well that was great listening to Maven Maris explain about the handy sewing tools. She has so much knowledge and I love hearing from her. Thanks for being patient with us as we both took a break from podcasting a bit and we are still committed to this podcast we just needed a little break and we have some new things lined up in the summer we'll be more active and it's important that we hear from you though Mm -hmm. what we love the most is when you go to our website and you record a voice message for us so that it's not just our voices on here we (laughs) love that so much so please go to our website clothesmakingavens.com and there's a couple ways you can call us on your phone you can use the the computer to just make a message right there. You can email us, we're making mavens at gmail.com. And um you can leave a comment right on the website too and check us out and help us out.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite parts of this podcast is when we get voices from other sewists who are giving us their thoughts and opinions and ideas. So please feel free to get in touch with us. Ah All right. Well, thanks. Until next time, Helena. Great to chat with you. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clothes Making Mavens podcast. For more information and more episodes, visit clothesmakingmavens.com. We would love to hear from you. You'll find options for sending us an email, leaving a comment, or even a voicemail on clothesmakingmavens.com. Hope to hear from you soon and thanks for listening.